0: Everybody, and welcome back to a new edition of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co host, Mark. Mark, how are you today?
1: I am excellent, Sir Alan of the Roundtable. It's great to be here. I am so excited. You can tell on account of my face, it's excited and it stuff. It looks exciting. Um, that there are second half of the coverage of London, baby. I had the baby. They should call this
0: one part two. They should call this part that two. That would be
1: amazing. I know, I know. <laughs> Which is confusing because there actually actually is a London part one and a London part two and we kind of smooshed it up and then split it on our own.
0: We did some smooshing. Yes. <laughs> the, then we like we said psych and then we broke it into two anyway.
1: You know, the funny thing is is we've been in the habit. You know how Constantine and Harvey yeah. don't really get along real well. Not so well. And and we've been alternating them. Nowhere so...
0: near like Andy and uh, Lord uh, Fancy Face. Oh,
1: no, no. Those no. two are like peas in a British in a pod. pod. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we don't like to, to, to mix them up because yeah. we learn from ghostbusters you don't cross the streams Do not so but constantine was so enamored with this season premiere he's here again oh wow for the second half so
0: it's unusual for him to be here two weeks in a row it is hey buddy you doing good
1: yeah well he's yeah, fine he's fine he's fine
0: <laughs> i don't know what does that is that a hand gesture they have in uh london i am unfamiliar with that one
1: i think he's offering me one onion
0: oh that's weird <laughs>
1: <laughs> one very middle finger onion.
0: That's strange. Yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know that gesture. I have to look no, that up. That must be all. British.
0: I think it is British. I think <laughs> you're right. Yes, absolutely. Well, Mark, we should probably remind people of where we left off. I know uh, we cut this episode almost in half, but we were a little we bit went a more little than bit beyond. half, yeah. just a little beyond because we, we wanted to leave some room uh, uh, for, to balance it out between the two episodes and uh, give everybody a little break between the two.
1: That's right. That's right. So we we recommend, of course, that you listen to the to the prior episodes so you can be up to date. But
0: you can't listen to the episodes out of order, Mark. You can't listen. I mean, you know, I can't. Anyway. No,
1: you're completely broken. like a, totally like a, broken. Like a, like a something. I'd yeah, not good with the things. No. Um, but anyway, so yeah, let's let's uh let's do a recap of what happened in the first half of our uh, of right. our London coverage. Here,
0: here, let me let me give you a cue for that.
1: <clears throat> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, so. I'm not going to do the whole thing because I hurt my no. throat last time, Is but, it hurt? but yeah. So you remember, Alan, we had broken this sucker up into five stories last time. So in the spirit of consistency, I'm going to try to give recaps using that structure. OK, OK, so first we have the, the a story, which I had entitled pathetically Leslie's recall fight. So we're we're in London, and where we left off was Leslie had just given her acceptance speech for winning one of the five awards given out by the International Coalition of Women in Government. Unfortunately, this speech was a little rougher than she or others had expected. I think, frustrated at how much Pawnee hates her and how much the other award winners are loved by their hometowns, Leslie ends up losing her temper a little bit and calls her fellow Pawneeans a bunch of peepee heads, among Uh-oh. other things. While this may have felt good at the time, Leslie learns, unfortunately, that Jerry had arranged a viewing party back in Pawnee. Bloody hell, Jerry. And they saw bloody hell. And they saw the whole thing, something Catherine Pinewood is using to now further rip Leslie a new one. So that's kind of where we left off there. So for our B story, which I entitled The Legacy of Lord Fancy Face, you had such good titles last
0: time. They were all Clash-related. They were. My, My A story was The Clash, London Recall. Very good. That's yes. excellent. And, and this one, I said, uh, the class, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Originally entitled My Blue Helicopter. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So- For the B story, the legacy of Lord's Fancy Face, we're still in London, and we learn that Lord Covington, a.k.a. Lord Fancy Face, he wants us to call us Eddie Allen. So we learn that Eddie Eddie and Andy get along great. They have very similar uh, childlike demeanors. They're just like two peas in a British pod, we had said. To this end, and largely due to Andy's assurances, Eddie has decided to go with Ben's proposal regarding the after-school music program, which is great. But... Because he doesn't know what he's doing, he needs Andy to stay there. He asked Andy to stay there for three months to help him set it up and get things running. And we don't yet know really what Andy thinks of this. So that's kind of where we left that
0: off. That is where we left that.
1: Um, for the C story, which I called Ron's European Vacation.
0: Very we, nice. I kind of like that. What was I yours? Like I forget. Uh, uh,
1: mine was called Train in Vain. There we go. A great clash. There we go. Place. Perfect. So still in Ron, in London, there's not a lot to tell about this. You know, Ron's here because they were gonna, he and Diane were going to have a honeymoon that she had yeah. mornings at next. And then she said, go anyway. And he's like, he, he's not only in, for her. He's not impressed. No. Only for her would he do this. Yeah. So he's not been real impressed yet. Maybe so he'll get rewarded. We'll see. We have yet to see if Ron can find any redeeming qualities. And that's kind of where we left off with that. That's right. For the D story, which I called Rent a Swag 2.0 at Tommy's Closet, um, Tom found out who the anonymous client was that started Tommy's closet across the street. It's none other than Dr. Saperstein, who is not only Anne's doctor, But is the father. Saperstein. That sounds familiar to me. It does. Well, on account of he's the father of both John Ralphio Saperstein Ah. and Mona Lisa Saperstein. They're the worst. They're the worst. And for some crazy ass reason, he is determined to crush Tom. Uh, Tom, So Tom talked, where we last left off, Tom talked with John Ralphio and Mona Lisa and found out they were both lying to their father about Tom. Making Tom look very bad while making themselves look well great. For, like, for example, John Ralphio told his father rent a swag was his idea oh. and that Tom stole it from him. Sure. So, Tom, to this end, convinced John Ralphio to please tell his father the truth so mm-hmm. that maybe. Tom can mend fences with them. Maybe and that's where we left off that.
0: Yeah. My, my, my clash related theme for that was rock the cashmere. Nice. Yes. I
1: love it. Yeah. I love it. And then finally the, my last story, the e story I have is the, the most exciting news that nobody cares about. Um, So finally back in pack and Pawnee. with the, in the first half, we found out that Ann and Chris are uh, together and they're doing great. In fact, they're doing better now than they ever have. And we also found out that Dr. Saperstein Anne's Dr gave Anne a sonogram because Anne is pregnant. Although at this point only Anne, Chris, and Dr. Saverstein know about this Mm. and Tom. Oh yeah. And Tom, but, but they
0: haven't started telling people Ah, yet. Yeah. So that's kind of where we left off with that. Yeah. So, so Mark, my title for that last storyline, my clash song was lovers rock. (laughs) Yeah. The 1979 classic. So there you go. Yeah. So
1: now we continue with part two of our coverage of the season premiere, London. Right? right? That's what we're doing? Is, we're so doing good. that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I got that right.
0: Well, Mark, as I recall, we were headed back to City Hall. That's right. We've been bouncing across the pond, as we like to say. We have, we have. Yeah, and we are back in City Hall, and it turns out that one of the staff members has a spooky good power of observation, in addition to having a beautiful operatic singing voice. And Mark, I'm not talking about Jerry. <laughs> I haven't heard him sing, I don't know. Well, we yeah, actually, be, we, have. we have. We have. We
1: have heard it. Yes, it's, it's, he's a
0: decent singer, All right, but not operatic.
1: No, 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 yeah. not not that level. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, back in
1: Pawnee at City Hall, um, we see Anne and Chris talking in the hallways, and it appears that they've been talking about it. They've decided they're going to start telling people.
0: What's the baby tour
1: about the and being pregnant. It's the baby tour. And they, they see Donna there. So they figure, you know what? We'll start with Great Donna place to start. Sure. However, Donna is deceptively observant, beating them to the punch. So check it out. ann's drinking decaf coffee, even in the morning. Yeah. She's wearing an empire waist dress. She's wearing loose shoes on account of the, the feet swelling <laughs> and Donna guesses mm, you're pregnant, maybe nine, ten weeks. Completely blows them Spot away. Spot on. And and I think maybe they're also a little disappointed that that they because they wanted more of a, oh, You right. know what I mean? And yeah. they didn't stole their thunder that. a little bit. I will say this as a side note. Um, Alan, we, we saw a, a special agent Perkins, uh, join, uh, Burt Macklin FBI. Yes. I'm wondering if special agent Donna Meagle wouldn't have been a better partner. Cause I God, think she was she's good.
0: Well, remember she, she was, uh, she was interrogated by them for a second though. So right. She was in the mix. Right. Right. Yeah. Mark, it also occurs to I me, mean, not only cause she possibly in her other life been a uh, private detective there or a uh, investigator, but, uh, right. they could have saved some money with Dr. Saperstein. They didn't need that sonogram or, uh. Uh, ultrasound. Yeah. Go to Donna. Nine weeks. Boom. Yep. Yep. Done. Is it healthy? Yes. Sure. Yeah. She would know. Why not? (laughs) Well, Mark, back in London, we're going to bounce back over. Leslie expresses her frustrations about adulting to Ron and Ron gives her some helpful, necessary and sage advice, which she repays with a mystery gift of her own.
1: Yeah, we're we're back in London and we see Leslie and Ron sitting on a bench overlooking Westminster. Benches, weird. The, you know what I thought when I saw this? I thought I, I could imagine Ron going, Oh look, a bench. We don't have those in America. <laughs> that's not what he said, but that's just in my mind. Right? Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I think I think Leslie needs some of Ron's classic sage she advice does. Yeah, here. Yeah, it's um,
2: hey, Constantine buddy, hey, play
1: our first clip, please. Thanks.
2: Why are we here? Just thought you needed some fresh air, even if that air is filled with the foul stench of European socialism. Yeah.
3: You know, I know I am supposed to feel bad about what I said, but I do not. Pawnee has really been pissing me off lately.
2: Leslie, for God's sake, you're the adult here. When your kid screams, I hate you, you don't sink to his level and yell, I hate you back. You have to be the grown up.
3: <sighs> you're right. I know. I have to be the grown up. But it's so hard! Come <laughs> God. God! And nobody ever thanks you.
2: You choose a thankless job, you can't be upset when nobody thanks you. Yeah. And by the way, April thanked you. She nominated you for this award.
3: Well, April does that all the time. She nominated Anne for Motocross Driver of the Year Award just so she could get a rejection letter.
2: April respects you. And so do many others. Don't start chasing applause and acclaim. That way lies madness. Mm.
3: Oh, I almost forgot. I finally got you a proper wedding gift. Part one of many.
2: A train ticket? You think I want to extend my stay on this godforsaken continent? Hmm.
3: Yes, you do. If you follow that itinerary to the letter, I promise you, you will not be disappointed.
2: Well, I would offer to buy you a drink, but where the hell would that even happen?
3: This is London, (laughs) Ron. There's a pub over there, there's a pub over there, there's a pub between those two butcher shops.
2: Let's go to that one, but we'll be stopping in those two butcher shops first. <laughs> that, that
1: seems right.
0: That's very Ron, isn't it? Yes.
1: Oh man, I I gotta I gotta wonder what Leslie's thinking, giving him a train ticket.
0: I don't know. I'm curious though, and well, it's in like a little uh, like a like a journal,
1: right? Leather wrap right, right. journal
0: with a train ticket. So very curious. <laughs> Oh, look,
1: a train. We don't have those. And those and I'll stop that. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> well, actually, we don't have that many, as a matter of fact.
1: We, no, we don't. We really don't.
0: I mean, we got trains that carry toxic chemicals, clearly, but not so many passenger trains. <laughs> I liked his advice to her. It's good.
1: It, it is, and I think it's a reminder. You got to be the adult when you're dealing with a bunch of pee
0: <laughs> And I know we'll talk about this when we wrap things up, Mark. <laughs> right. but th- they're always there for each other in this regard. Sometimes it's him who needs to hear it, and sometimes it's her, and right now it's Leslie.
1: Uh, yep. Well said.
0: Yep. Well, back at City Hall, it's a lovely day for a quick lunch and a tall glass of milk in the courtyard. And as uh, Jerry slurps away, Ann and Chris pop over to share their exciting news. Queasy, uh, huh? I
1: don't even want to do this scene. <laughs> so here's what, i not do it. All right. So we're back in Pawnee <laughs> and we see Ann and Chris approach Jerry,
0: who is one of my favorite characters. Until the scene.
1: Yeah, he's eating lunch outside in the courtyard. And and so, again, they're on the baby tour. They're yeah. telling people that Ann is pregnant. Yeah. And they do so. And they tell Jerry the news. And at first, I think that they're happy to see Jerry have the initial OMG response that, they're, perfect. that they're looking for. Exactly what they needed. However, things get a little odd. They should have just walked away. And then creepy, uh, once Jerry starts <laughs> describing all the things that Ann can look forward to, like her, her milk coming in, and then the baby rooting around endlessly for Man, that. But nipple. when he stops
0: to take a big chug of milk
1: oh, right after that. They are horrified. It's just such <laughs> bad timing. It's not I good. mean, so here's the deal. I believe wholeheartedly that Jerry meant it innocently. I of mean, it's he Jerry. Did yeah it's still kind of creepy (laughs) plus plus we learned that when gail was pregnant yeah jerry put on a lot of sympathy weight with her and apparently before his kids he used to look a lot like chris which made chris very sad very sad please stop talking (laughs) oh my gosh it i just i mean look this whole episode is great but i gotta tell you if they had to choose a scene to take out Uh
0: uh-huh it's the milk slurpee (sighs) nipple thing
1: We've talked about the differences between the office and parks and rec and how office tends to like double down on the cringe. This is a rare moment where it seemed to be inspired by the office.
0: Remind me to talk more about this later, but I have to believe that Jim O'Hare, Really enjoyed this scene. Oh, oh my god! That's Jim's sense of humor. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. yep. Jim is not Jerry. Let's move on. Well, Mark, from there, let's do. We rejoin April and Andy at one of London's most iconic tourist spots for a bird's eye view of the city while talking about the qualifications to run a nonprofit.
1: Yeah. there. As you said, they we're back in London. Andy and April are enjoying a, a bird's eye
0: view from a very high up tourist spot. Mark, where are we? I don't know. This is the London Eye, Mark. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I've stood in it. I have not. There's a picture of me somewhere.
1: I had no idea that yeah. London had an eye in it. That's not how you spell it.
0: It, it. Yeah, it's an eye.
1: All right. Fair enough. So we're in London's eye. And uh, and <laughs> April and Andy are, are, are overlooking everything, as tourists are wont to do. And they're talking about what Lord Fancy Face asked Andy to do. And Andy is... Very hesitant. He doesn't know what he would be doing either. Plus, English in England is weird and different. And he'd be far away from April. So, I mean, understandably, he's hesitant. April, however, sets Andy straight and telling him he obviously likes the Lord Fancy Face Guy. Sure. And they can deal with the distance. And she believes in him. I mean, when is he going to get another opportunity like this? And then they kiss.
0: You know, that's good stuff. She's there for him. I think they're going to make it. I like it. Those kids might just make it. So, I, th- I mean, I think she's talked him into it. I think she has. I mean, he's disappointed that the Piccadilly Circus is not actually a circus. No elephants, no clowns. But they did have one bearded lady. She got all rude weird.
1: when he marveled at her. Weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Mark, back in Pawnee, Ann and Chris are having trouble eliciting the appropriate amount of enthusiasm when they realize that the perfect candidate might just have become available.
1: Thank God. they They need some sort of affirmation. It's time. Um, So, yeah, back in Pawnee, jumping across the pond again, uh, Anne and Chris have gotten so desperate for people to be excited to them that they have resorted to visiting the dreaded fourth floor so that they can give the news to one Ms. Ethel Beavers. So, the bad news, Ethel doesn't seem to give much of a crap. No. (laughs) The good news is Anne and Chris realize who has just made her way back across the pond to Pawnee. Then we cut to a scene, probably slightly into the future. I don't know if it's a few minutes or whatever, but but Leslie is now back in Pawnee, yeah. and she is embracing Anne and Chris, almost deliriously happy for them when she hears the news.
0: Much the way she was when Ron and Diane got married.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. But, I mean, to be fair, Leslie might have been deliriously happy for for two reasons. One, I think that she's over the moon happy for Anne and Chris legitimately, Yeah. and B... During the flight, she took a sleeping pill, but then she changed her mind and took something called Zap Vigil, which is what Israeli (laughs) fighter pilots use to stay awake. And she's kind of goofed up right now. But I I will say, goofed up or not, Leslie loves Ann and Chris, and she loves the snooze.
0: Didn't she say she looks like a giant lobster? But, you know. That was, that was one of my favorite parts is she's like you know i took a sleeping pill and then this thing called zap Visual.
1: so i'm kind of goofed up and i i it looks like i'm talking to a giant crab right now <laughs> i know i'm not <laughs> stay away
0: crab <laughs> don't pinch me
1: and then and then she kind of looks at her like out of the side of her eye like like well
0: she gives her side easy eye. there <laughs> <laughs> so funny she does not trust that crab nope yeah Well, Mark, across town, it's now time for John Ralphio and Mona Lisa to set the record straight and help Tom get Daddy Saperstein off his back to save his business.
1: We now cut to the dope-ass conference room of (laughs) lawyer Trevor Nelson. Um, On one side of the table, we have Dr. Saperstein sitting next to Trevor himself. I think they have a note taker as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, th- you remember this is the law firm of uh, Nelson and Nitherton. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that.
1: Man, I forgot about that. Yeah, I wish I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> so then, on the other hand, on the other side of the table, we have John, Tom, and John Ralfio, yep. and Mona Lisa. Hey, Constantine, play this dope ass clip, please. Thank you all for coming,
3: and let me just say how truly, deeply trill it is to be standing in this dope ass conference room. Yeah a group of people in a business meeting. It's really a dream come true.
2: Uh, right now, I want to turn the floor over to John Ralphio, who has something to say. Tom, lawyer guy, <laughs> daddy. Tom did not screw me out of the company. He gave me every opportunity to jump in at the ground floor, and I said no, not because I thought it was a bad idea, but because, and this is very important, I really didn't care about what was happening. So why exactly did you lie when I asked you what had happened? daddy daddy Well, I lie to you all the time. All those math camps I said I went to, I don't even know what a math camp is.
0: <laughs> so all those <laughs> postcards that you sent me, all those trophies that you'd won, trophies I
3: bought! <laughs> I also have something to say. I have done nothing wrong Ever. ever in my
2: life. Wow. I know this and I love you.
3: I love you too, daddy. Money please. Oh jeez. My money. Dr.
2: Saberstein,
4: your son is my best friend. Yeah. He's like a brother to me,
3: but he's a disaster. And your daughter seriously needs to be locked up in some sort of insane asylum. Mm.
2: On an island, <laughs> oh, in space. Oh,
3: no. <laughs>
2: These two have been huge disappointments to me.
3: Come on, you love
1: us. Tell me you love us, and then admit this guy looks like Beaker from The Muppets. <laughs>
3: <Dad>. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, what are we doing, are we doing
0: here, though? Like, dad? What is Why are
1: we this? here? No. No.
3: no,
0: now you know the truth. Will you back off? No, I will not stop. Yes, this all started as vengeance for my children, but the company is making money now. Why would I back off? Just because these nincompoops lie to me all the time. Okay, no, I'm not going to back off. I'm going to continue and I'm going to crush you. Ooh. All right, you two. Are you in for dinner tomorrow night? Yes! Daddy. Give uh, he... me a kiss. Mwah! Mwah! Got it. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. <laughs> I love his swings. He goes from one extreme to the other, like on a dime.
1: Yeah, he might be tripolar. <laughs> <laughs> tripolar.
0: Well, Mark, we'll try to recover from that. <laughs> wow. Still in town and down the street from the law firm of Nelson, Nygaard, and Nitherton, uh, Leslie and April pay a visit to one of the town's many complainants to see if they can provide a solution that she will appreciate. Uh, here we go. I'm again, not holding out much hope for this. Again with
1: the slug problem. Yeah, yeah. We, we cut to a, a shot outside the house of Gretel who we encountered in the, in the first half, the the crazy Pawnee in with the slug problem. Oh, yes. And, slug we, lady. and we see slug lady and we see Leslie and April on their hands and knees on the sidewalk spreading coffee grounds, which is interesting while talking about Andy being gone. And then Leslie sees Gretel walk up with a grocery bag, uh, you know, coming home from the grocery there. And she engages her and explains what they're doing, which apparently this is interesting. If you spread coffee grounds, it'll drive the slugs away without killing them. A tip uh, April learned from uh, Congordzol, the, the Mongolian Wolverine <laughs> wrangler that she's uh-huh. infatuated with because um, they're emailing their they're best buds now. Wow. So Leslie assumed Gretel would be pleased with their solution. But instead, Gretel seems very grumpy and put off. I don't want all the slugs gone. Only most of them. Oh boy! So April is angry at Gretel because uh, she's mad for Le- for Leslie's sake, you know. Well, sure. She didn't even say thank you. But Leslie reminds her, you know, this we we don't do this for the applause. We do this because it's good because it helps people. And yeah, it would be nice if just one person just one appreciated my work. But <laughs> that's the job: wiping slime and shoveling slugs and. April looks sad while Leslie is saying all this. Like, I don't think that this is sitting well
0: with her. No. All right. Next on to the next complaint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back across the pond, we see Ron beginning his itinerary given to him by Leslie. And like him, we have yet to figure out exactly where he's headed. Yeah, this is a, a
1: very short, very visual scene with very little spoken dialogue. We, we cut back to Europe where we see Ron walking through what looks like a, a train station in yes. Glasgow, yeah. uh, holding Leslie's itinerary. And he looks up at the electronic board that has the announcing uh, arrivals and departures, and yeah. he looks at his watch. And then we cut to a scene with Ron riding in a train. And Leslie's itinerary is still in hand, and he's gazing out the window while a, a beautiful vista with trees and meadows passes by outside. And we see Ron grin slightly and then say out loud to himself,
0: where the hell are you sending me, nope? We're not sure yet. Yeah, we don't know. I think he's headed north. I think he is. Yeah. Well, over at the Sweetums Foundation, Ben and Jessica have a chance to catch up. And Ben gets a new nickname that Leslie might both agree with and still not appreciate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Back in Pawnee at the Sweetums Foundation, we see Jessica Wicks enter Ben's office walking Four corgis of all things. Mm. Jessica tells Ben that the corgis were a gift from his British friend, Lord Edgar Covington, aka Lord Fancyface. Ben breaks the news to Jessica that Andy will actually be staying in in Europe for three months. And um, and yeah, Andy sent Ben an email that morning saying he got on the wrong train to work and he got lost. And <laughs> um, something, something, Standing Stones. I don't know, but he'll he'll be okay. That guy's gonna make it. Jessica seems rather nonplussed by all this, instead focusing on, A, their upcoming board meeting, and B, her nicknames that she has come up with for the dogs and apparently Ben, uh, some of which may not be appropriate. I think the Ben's name is... um, SpaghettiOs. No, that's the dog's name. Oh, darn it. It's a sugar butt.
0: Sugar butt, that's right. Wow.
1: A little rough, but...
0: Maybe wildly inappropriate as Ben. I think Leslie would agree with it. I he, she would, but she should give him this nickname, not another one. Yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, back in Tom's office, he and John Rafio discuss his predicament. And with his dad's vendetta, Tom's relationship with John Rafio gets a little more complicated.
1: Yeah, it it looks like it's now late evening or nighttime. It's dark out at at any rate. And we're back at City Hall. And it looks like most people have gone home. So they may be like some of the only two people there. And John Ralfio is with Tom in his office. And they're talking about uh, daddy, Dr. Saperstein, and talking about Tommy's closet and what comes next and what it all means. When John Ralfio confirms that, yeah, you know what? My dad, he never gives up. Tom's frustrated and, and he even mentions that, you know what? Maybe I should throw in the towel while well, I still got something to walk away with. Surprisingly, John Ralphio comes to Tom's defense, telling him, dude, what are you talking about? You're Tommy Haverford. You're an idea man. When when Babyface was your age, he hadn't even signed Tony Braxton yet, let alone Usher. These strange but comforting words actually help Tom to clear his head a little bit. And he ultimately decides that he will keep going and he will beat Dr. Saperstein.
0: Well, he is practically babyface. He is basically babyface. So there you go. Well, at Anne's house, conversation about the baby turns into a discussion that sounds more like a salad bar review. But otherwise, the couple now seems to be settling into the idea of being parents.
1: Yeah, we we cut over to Anne's house where we see Anne and Chris sitting on the couch. And they're looking through several pregnancy-related books and... We see Anne sit back with a combination of of bewilderment and frustration commenting on uh, on how overwhelming this all is, not only because of all the books and the information they're trying to absorb, but also because the scope just changed. It used to be just their little secret. But then when they decided to tell people, now it's no longer just their thing. Now it's it's everybody's thing. It's become real. And Chris comforts her and puts his arm around her affectionately and tells her, it's still just our thing. It'll always be just our thing. And that's why it's so wonderful. And that's why we'll love it so much. And this makes seems
0: to make Anne feel better. Yeah, it's a sweet scene. Well, back in Leslie's office, she continues moving down the to-do list from hell, but April has her take a short break and gives Leslie the perfect gift. Mark, this is a very visual scene in addition to the narrative side of uh, what we will hear, why don't you set this one up? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, so April enters Leslie's office, and, and like you said, it seems like April may have something to share. And you know what? I'm going to have Constantine play this clip, and then after the clip is done, I'm going to go back and fill in some gaps. How's that it. sound? Constantine, buddy, hit it.
3: Hey. Hey. Are you leaving? Well, I just have to get a jump start on my next phase. Let's see. It is 48-hour roadkill scrape-a-thon. Oh.
4: Okay, well, before you go, I have something for you. I feel like you're getting sad about how stupid and lame people are. And that is my job, not yours. So I'm gonna read this letter to you out loud. But if you hug me afterwards, I swear to God, I'll scream and pull my hair out and maybe punch you in the face. Okay? Okay. Please sit. Dear Award Committee members,
3: Leslie, Come on. I didn't
4: even start. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Dear award committee members, where I live, there are a lot of apathetic people. People who don't care at all about what they do or how they do it. They let the world wash over them and barely notice anyone else is even there. Leslie Nope is not one of these people. She cares about everything and everyone in our town. I don't know how she does it. People come to her with the pettiest, stupidest problems and she cares, like really actually cares what happens to them. And if you're lucky enough to be her friend, your life gets better every day. She spends every waking moment thinking of new ways to make her friends happy. There is something wonderful about seeing someone who has found her true purpose on Earth. For some people, I guess that's being an astronaut or a hot dog eating champion. For Leslie, her true purpose on Earth, her true meaning, is making people's lives better. That's what I love about her, and that's why she deserves this award. Sincerely, Satan.
3: <laughs> You're getting hugged right now. No, I told you not to. No, you no, stay <laughs> away! <laughs> that's
1: great that was very sweet the, now the the visual aspect of this is now this is really a, a very sweet touching yeah. scene where april's reading the the letter that she wrote for right. leslie to get a reward sure. so about halfway through the letter where she said you know and if you're lucky enough to be her friend at that point in the background we the, we visually cut across the pond again to Ron now following Leslie's sweet and very well thought out itinerary instructions so first we see Ron walking down a narrow road in a beautiful serene meadow in Scotland and then we see him talking to an elderly gentleman at a lighthouse who is pointing mm-hmm. somewhere across the waters and then finally uh, well and then we see him getting on a small boat with yeah, we another... heard a
0: little bit of the boat in the background too
1: right yeah. right uh, we, uh, we see him getting on a small boat with another gentleman as they make their ways into the water surrounding the tiny islands off the coast of Scotland. And then finally, a ways into the boat journey, we see Ron look up in amazement and the camera pans over to where he was looking and we see what he was looking at. The sight to end all sights, the Lagavulin factory.
0: It's like the promised land.
1: I tell you what, Leslie knows her friends. She really does. Th- yeah. th- this is on par with his birthday steak dinner. It's right there. Yeah.
0: I'd say it's an equal stride for sure. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, Mark's still back across the pond on the coast of Scotland. We meet Ron at his final destination, as you said, and and we see and hear the final pieces of Leslie's gift to him. Yeah, this this is an interesting scene. This
1: scene is essentially one giant talking head by Ron. It's, yeah. it's, I, I think of it as a tiny love letter to not only acknowledge Ron's great love of Lagavulin, sure. but also his gentle, partial acceptance of at least part of Europe. And of course, the end result of Leslie's seemingly endless thoughtfulness. So we hear bagpipes playing in the background for some nice ambiance and we see Ron walking through the Lagavulin factory, sometimes with smiling employees glad to give him a tour, sometimes alone. And we see him investigate the mixers, the distillers, the barrels, and even sample some of the precious end product. And Ron tells us that, yes, he's avoided Europe all his life, but there is actually one place in Europe that is worth seeing. These tiny islands off the coast of scotland where god's chosen elixirs are distilled barreled (laughs) and prepared for consumption this is worth the trip in his own words this is worth the trip and the scene ends with ron sitting on the cliff sides overlooking the islands gazing into the waters per leslie per leslie's instructions and also per leslie's instructions at that. particular time reading out loud a poem by the great Scotsman Robert Burns and we see him do so and then sit there in contemplative serene silence maybe even looking a bit choked up and tearful and then we hear him say as though he's trying to you know save some face <laughs> uh, I don't know what she thought I'd get out of that
0: <laughs> we know and he's alone and he's still trying to save face right, right. love it that's very very wrong right It was a good poem, too. It was. Absolutely. Well, Mark, finally in our kicker, Leslie and Ben finally catch up, and Leslie shares her gift to him, and may or may not have the effect she was going for.
1: (laughs) That's right. I I think this is the next morning. That sounds right. And we're back at City Hall, and we see Leslie and Ben sitting together, I believe, at their favorite bench. It's the bench. In front of the mural of Wildflowers. And they make small talk about their trip to London. Mm-hmm. And and Alan, in my mind, they leave us with three main takeaways. Yeah. One, they love Pawnee and it's nice to be home mm-hmm. Two, the world is a very big place. And actually, neither one of them have seen very much of it. Maybe they should consider traveling more mm-hmm. and expanding their horizons. And three. Leslie has an experiment she wants to try. Apparently, she got Ben a little something something in London. Uh Traditional barrister's wig, and she asks him to put it on because, you know, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You uh-huh. know. And he does, <clears throat> and uh Leslie immediately declares it not sexy, a failed nope. experiment, and please take it off immediately. Take it off. <laughs> take it off now. Fade to black. Love it.
0: Yeah, it's cute. It was a, it was a cute scene, and ended on a bit of humor, which I think based on the last portion of this episode, the way it played out was a really good way to end up. So I agree. Yeah. 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 Classic. So really good job on the breakdown there. and uh, part two, let's also take a break here. And when we come back, we will now wrap up the episode with our normal tropes. First, fun facts, all that fun stuff scores, and then send everybody home for real. Bippity, boppity. Bippity I mean, boppity. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we'll be right back. Everybody.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I have been dreaming of this day my entire life. Every breath I took has been leading up to this, my own bottle of Lagavulin whiskey. This was years in the making. To fully understand how this whiskey and all whiskey came to be, we have to go back to the beginning of time. Before mankind, before everything we ever knew, to a force. A being bigger than us all. A force that took the most essential element of life and said... needs a little something. That's it. That's it! Let's go make some whiskey. I'm just gonna wait here until those things die off. Lagavula, the Offerman edition. There can be only one.
0: everybody we're back well hey mark let's talk about our deleted scenes for uh, this two-parter um again we reviewed the single 44 ish minute version of this episode right we uh did break it into two to give everybody a little bit of a bit of respite including ourselves between the two but we did get some deleted scenes also in the dvds here and it's roughly four minutes and 25 seconds i counted about five scenes roughly i think um I got to be honest, I they're not bad deleted scenes, just like normal. I think they're the ones that probably needed to be deleted, I suppose. Agreed. I think I expected more in volume, though. Kind of like we got with episode 22 from season five, Are You Better Off? Because there were like 10 minutes there. And in my head, I was thinking we'd get something similar here with a lot of good, juicy stuff they just couldn't squeeze in. Not really.
1: I I, I think yeah. I agree. And, and your comparison to the season five uh, finale uh, I think is a good one because man that had a lot of good deleted scenes. Really I did. mean, really funny. Great. Stuff. These were, these were fine. They were okay, but they were more of what I think of with the with the, the typical collection of deleted scenes. They're decent. I see why they were the ones that got chose to be cut.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I, and I think, um, you know, got a little bit of extra crazy pawnians. We had a little more, uh, Dr. Saperstein threatening Tom, yep. but there was really nothing there. Um, you know that I, I felt like we really missed. Yeah, if you have the DVDs, it's worth taking a look. Check them out. Yeah, yep. Well, Mark, let's move into tropes, first fun facts, and uh, the the goofs there. Yeah, the goofs. I always forget the goofs.
1: All right. What you get? All right. Well, first, um, there there's quite a few here. So we have a uh, Ron and Diane are married. Yep. Uh, we get first get confirmation that Anne is pregnant. Yep. Um, I guess we first get confirmation that Diane's pregnant. Yeah. Um, we uh, first see the gang in London we are first introduced to lord edgar covington aka lord fancy face <laughs> um we we first see chris pratt in what we will call star lord shape yep um just cut out that beer yep that's what i need to do yeah, me too I'm um, try it tonight we first meet dr saperstein yep. father of john ralphio and mona lisa yep. we first learn dr saperstein is the one behind yep. rent a swag's so, main oh, competitor great. tommy's yep. closet and we
0: first see the store, Tommy's closet. Ah, them threatening. No, no, those are great. I, I would say, I said this is the first trip out of Indiana that we've seen for the cast outside of April for for the folks like who have left, right? Like uh, Partridge, Donna. huh? Partridge. Well, it's true. Partridge, Minnesota. I forgot that. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, First trip to Europe for everybody. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then um, I said the first trip abroad again, except for April. Right, right. Donna was obviously also abroad, but not in this episode.
1: We don't call them broads. Oh, my God.
0: Moving on. Look, it was just
1: there. It's low-hanging fruit. Yeah, but
0: sometimes you just leave it on the tree. I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, How about tropes? How'd you do on tropes? I've got a few here, and I bet you've got a lot of the same.
1: How about them tropes? All right. So we got uh, Punching Bag Jerry. Oh, yeah. Set up a webcast.
0: Look, it was so well-intentioned. Jerry did a really nice thing, and it blew up in his face. How weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then he had to do the whole thing with the... The the scene I don't even want to talk about. Yeah, I don't the scene. talk about that. I don't no. know if that's Punching Bag Jerry as much as no,
0: that's Vomit Jerry. All right, yeah. The <laughs> trope vomit,
1: vomit Jerry. Jerry. Uh, I I said CP for Crazy Poneans. Yeah, I, I think Gretel was the main representative, except in the deleted
0: scenes. There were three or four more in the deleted scenes. Yeah.
1: Um, I said, uh, over-prepared Leslie, oh, yeah. 40 freaking phases to get I the mean, public to like her. I, I mean, what do yes. you, could we, yeah. uh, sweet, stupid Andy. Yep. Again, you can fill in the blank, but I think I, I got a good foothold there. I mean, all the stupid
0: stuff. Lord Covington. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I said, uh, overly cheerful Chris. Yeah. I, again, I missed that one. Yeah, that's good. I, I want to emphasize this. I, I actually like it when Chris is rattled. When his baseline is cheerful, Chris, I don't like it when he's rattled, when mm. he's depressed, Chris. Yeah,
0: and you say overly cheerful, but at the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing for him to be. just compared to a normal human being.
1: Yes, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. the Chris baseline that I love the most yeah. and that I'm used to. He is overly cheerful by nature. I like that. Right. Yep. Um, a lot of mugs to the camera. So too much. too too many to so many. to list. So many. um, I said. R-L-L, Ron yep. loves Lagavulin. Clock that one. R-H-E, Ron hates Europe. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I said W-W-R, woodworking Ron, because, which I think we've used before. Yeah. Specifically. The, the, the cold open. Yeah, sure. He built a canoe just for the intent yep. of proposing. I love that. Yeah. And um, the
0: little wooden box. And he
1: built a wooden yep. box. That's yep. right. For the- um, I clocked a, a series of bidgies. Ben doesn't get it. Yeah. Like the number of times that Eddie and Andy were like, being children and he just kind of went what is happening here
0: he He even put his head in his hand at one point yes
1: um i said agu april's growing up
0: yeah i said
1: tgu tom is growing up which
0: we talked about that a little last I, I, I
1: i mean i i saw it more with april and yet i want to give tom props where i can for continuing to be an adult which I I think he is. This guy's
0: my best friend, but he is a disaster.
1: Yeah. He just, he's laid out the facts, man. Um, I said, LLAB, Leslie lusts after Ben. (laughs) That's true. Because I was afraid it was going to turn into an X-rated scene with the barrister wig. Thank God it was a (laughs) failed experiment, but you know, (laughs) and then finally I said, uh, FDR food driven Ron only because, you know, let's visit both of these butcher shops and then
0: we'll, (laughs) we'll go to the pub. So that's a good one. um, That's all I had. Did I miss any? I had uh, Leslie Ann nicknames, although it's kind of weird because uh, Ann reads her own nickname about herself. I missed that. You're right. You're right. Um, Of course, you said mugs of the camera. We had so many of those. Right. I kind of came up with a new one. I think this is the only one we didn't talk about yet. What that is. Uh, Leslie steps in it. Like, I, I think she has this propensity to like, do the thing that causes her own, uh, the next the next thing that happened for her to like dig her way out of it, right? And she kind of did it here when she cr- had her premature victory party, you know, mm. kind of you know, spawned that off. But here, she's at the podium and, you know, peepee heads, right? So she does it again and it comes back to haunt her.
1: As Star Trek fans would say, she was hoisted by her own Picard. She was
0: hoisted by her own Picard. Love you it. You gotta love it. Season three's out. Check it out, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's it I on tropes for me, Mark. How about goofs or fun facts?
1: I only had one goof. Okay, uh, what'd and, you get? And I got this from the Wide Wide World of Web. Sure. Um, I love all those webs. Apparently, there's a scene, and I forget which one it is, but where um the, the Union flag is flying ah. over Buckingham Palace, and it's behind Ron, and apparently it's upside down.
0: Yeah, I read that same one.
1: Uh, that's all I had. Do you have any?
0: One of them. This one's probably going to be more of a fun fact, and it's you know when uh, Lord uh, Covington gives out his title, there he talks about on uh, you know Thames, on uh, uh, you know the river Th- the river Thames, um, but it's he's in Cornwall, and it's nowhere near Cornwall. So,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I think that's more of a joke than it was a mistake. I would so, agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. What about fun facts? Real fun facts? What'd you get? Um. Well, I had... There were a
1: ton, and I got most of these from the same Wide Wide World of Web. Sure. Um, So I had three regarding Peter Serafinowicz, uh, who played Lord Covington. Yes, we Um, love him.
0: I know we both do. um,
1: Oh, yes. So this is probably common knowledge, but I'll I'll say it anyway. We've talked about uh, Chris Pratt being Star-Lord tons of times, but production briefly moved to London to allow Andy, Chris Pratt, to make an appearance as he was in England filming... Guardians of the Galaxy, uh that that came out in 2014. Um number two, uh Andy's uh Chris Pratt's uh, significant weight loss is briefly mentioned by you know Ben like, oh you gave up, you know, beer and lost 50 pounds. This is in reference to Pratt's transformation for Guardians of the Galaxy. In actuality, Pratt Pratt went under underwent a strenuous exercise regimen, although apparently he did comment that he lost 50 pounds uh you know over 60. Yeah.
0: In real life. It was yeah.
1: incredible. Yeah. Um, and then finally, um, uh, Peter Serafinowicz uh, and Chris Pratt had great chemistry already as they were shooting this scene. As in reality, they were already shooting Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: And they were both in that. Yeah. Together. And, I, and if I remember, Peter Serafinowicz is playing one of like the guards. he's yes. like, With John C. Riley. Yes. Yeah. 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 So because at first I'm like, was he in that? And then I thought about it. And I'm like, yes, he was. Because when you're in a scene with John C. Riley, it's easy to fade into the background. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, exactly.
1: Um, I had three kind of regarding Henry Winkler. Okay. So Henry Winkler had a recurring role on Arrested Development, uh, which Amy Poehler also appeared in with her then husband uh, Will Arnett, who was obviously Joe Bluth. Yeah. Um, Henry Winkler makes his pronounced job jobs that gob gob gob. Gob. Pardon, pardon me. Um. Henry Winkler makes his debut as Dr. Lou. I missed that. His, his first name is Lou, L-U. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Lou Saperstein, um and, and Chris's OBGYN. And, on this, and they mention on the sitcom Friends, this is kind of an extended weird thing, but on the sitcom Friends, Phoebe's OBGYN had an unhealthy obsession with Arthur Fonzie Fonzarelli <laughs> and who was played yeah. by Henry Winkler. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they made a big deal. Ross made a big deal. Like, you know, he doesn't think he's Fonzie. He just likes Fonzie. But in this case, <laughs> it actually is Fonzie. Yeah. I, I mean, kind of. Yeah. Um, and finally, um, the, Anne and Chris have the doctor's visit. With with uh with Dr. Saperstein, who is obviously the father of John and Mona Lisa, and his character was named after Dr. Saperstein, the OBGYN in Rosemary's Baby, who helps trick Rosemary into giving birth to the
0: uh devil's child. Weird. Yeah. How apropos. Maybe. Two babies two uh two devil's children. <laughs>
1: oh man. Just we'll, saying.
0: We'll, we'll see. We will um, see
1: so I know that's that was a mouthful. Um the the only other things I had, I only had one other's one other one, which is uh um the lawyer Trevor Nelson tells this oh, is sure. actually this is actually kind of interesting to me. I didn't know this. Um he he has the the kind of the the offhanded remark of, you know, we're ripping you off, you know, mm-hmm. with Tommy's closet. And he says, Mr. Haverford, you are Hydrox. We are Oreo. Oreo. And um I did not realize. All this time that Hydrox actually did come first. Oh I, sure, I didn't yeah. know that. Oreo just
0: made it popular.
1: Apparently, yeah. they were introduced in 1908, and then Oreos said "screw you, Hydrox," and came out in 1912. And they and Oreos became more popular, probably because a they had a better name, but because they had uh, Nabisco had much better funds for That's advertising right. and marketing. And yeah. so then there you go. Yeah,
0: it's it's similar to uh, Tommy's Closet and Rent a Swag. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are many examples of that, you know, where, you know, the person we attribute to the thing is usually number two, not number one. I mean, the telephone, electricity. I mean, there's a list of these. I
1: just found that fascinating because all my life, I've definitely heard the
0: name Oreo. Sure. But I've heard the name Hydrox too.
1: And I always just associated them with, oh, they're a second rate. You thought it was like
0: maybe a spinoff that sold it for cheaper. Was a less
1: popular brand. That was my yeah. my incorrect assumption. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this, and that's why his his comment initially didn't make sense to me. And then I went, huh, I was today years old when I learned this. That's right. You
0: were first, but we're better. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it, it does. It does. It hits hard once you realize that. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like,
1: you know, the, the it's Mac. It's good writing on op- this show. It's like the Mac operating system in DOS.
0: <sighs> yeah.
3: How's
0: that?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I was just hoping you'd go with it. Uh, Actually, you know what? That, 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 that's the opposite. I think the Mac operating system was better, but DOS went, we have better advertising. We're going to be. Well, and they were first
0: DOS was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if you look at it on the timeline, you're talking months different though. Well, but the Mac
1: operating system first came out on the Xerox machines and i think that so that system actually well, predated according all, to the copyright infringement era. yes yes that's correct right yes. so
0: lots of speaking of lawsuits
1: yeah yeah hey for for the two viewers that are still with us thank you for <laughs> for for indulging us I there
0: mean, between mac os and hydrox cookies i think we just lost them well, all of them. Well, I, the way I look at it, Alan, is we cover
1: the gamut. We cover all subject matter so you we're, don't have to. We're here for everyone. Of course yes, we are. we are. My God. Did I miss any fun facts? Just say no.
0: We did not. <laughs> I think we covered all the fun facts and facts that weren't even that much fun. No, so. facts
1: that were just mediocre. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why don't we get into our scores, Mark?
1: Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Scoring coming. Here I go. I'm about to Go, start. Mark. Go. All right. Um, well, my episode MVP, Alan. Um, oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I so NA, NA, I can't do it because they all suck. The, his, uh, I mean, okay. So, here, here's the deal. I, 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 story I, I feel like Leslie Nope going into Rictus because I have so many things that my brain is trying N- to process. N- is yeah. and so, here's my best thing of saying things where I say things. <laughs> it's a great start. All right. Look.
0: I sense this is not the first time you're, you've broken down today and probably not the last either.
1: No. <laughs> Go for it. This episode is what I like to think of as beyond category. Hmm. You could name anyone other than maybe Anne and Chris, who I think maybe had the weakest of the five storylines. fair. I agree with that. Or Donna and Jerry, yep. who are often relegated to background roles. You can name any other combination of people. And I would nod and go, yup, yup. That makes sense. And that includes, that includes the guest stars. You could, you could nominate many of the guest stars for MVPs and most of who were absolutely freaking brilliant. So now having said that, I will admit I have a soft spot in this episode for uh, certain characters. I Leslie and April oh. and Ron are chief among them yeah. um, for the guest stars. Henry Winkler and, and Peter Serafinowicz, they are so freaking good. brilliant. They are. But look, man, you put a truth gun to my head. If I have to give the tip of the hat to anyone, I guess it's got to be the writers. Because the, they they wove together, in my opinion, two of Parks and Rec's best episodes into one super-duper blockbuster, hour-long season premiere extravaganza. It was really,
0: really really, really, really good. Mark, my MVPs were Dean Holland and Mike Schur. Okay. Well, we're kind of on the same page. I mean... Because not know what else to do. You don't know what else to do. It's all very good, well-crafted, one of the better episodes of Parks and Recreation in the entire run. And it's really hard to pull out a single person to call an MVP. Now, having said that, it, it, I feel like... I'm really struggling with this. It's almost unfair to
1: compare this to anything that's come before it. Well, cause, tell me more. Because there's never been anything like it. Like we, at least not. No, wait parts. a minute, Mark. We've had two part episodes before. Yeah, no, no. no, no. We, we've had episodes that we chose because of our... Extreme laziness to <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, cut, to cut into two parts, oh. uh, and, and because we
0: used to talk way 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 more than we do now, which yeah. is extremely we hard to get believe. A little better about that. Low wind, baggy. So you're telling me this is the only real two part episode of Parks and Rec ever T- to date? Oh, to date, to date. All right. Now
1: we've had the the we've had super size, you know, quote unquote super size sure. producers, producers cut directors cut. Yeah, 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 a- and. I will admit, typically the additional material was very enjoyable and it added a little sure. umph. so much so that often when we have producer's cuts, not always, but it's not uncommon for us to have two different scores. So someone right. will say, well, here's our score for the normal aired version. Here's the producer's cut. Um but this is on a whole new level 43 44 minutes of content allowed the writers i think to have an unparalleled amount of wiggle room to dodge and weave and craft storylines and have a ton of funny moments to boot so i just feel like it's in another it's beyond category uh i'm having a tough time with this um so i I have just a couple other observational notes so we Alan, we've always we've often discussed the ha ha moments like vir- versus the overarching story points versus character development versus Pawnee being, as we've said many times, like a real life Springfield, because it just seems so lifelike with all the the in-depth characters and funny, yep. quirky characters. And the reason I bring this up is, in my opinion, some of these things are harder to do than others, like plot points and character development that can be difficult because you need more than a sense of humor and creative writing skills. You need a roadmap of sorts to That's figure true. out where you're going. Um, but and that gets increasingly tough to do as the seasons roll on. Cause you get in danger of running out of creative runway, so to speak. But I think that even when parks and rec has a lower scoring episode, it's still great in terms of being again, a real life Springfield. Like I can tune into any Simpsons, episode and i can think to myself oh yeah there's Otto the bus driver or there's smithers uh mr burns assistant or, or whatever and and have fun just because i'm back in a universe that i recognize and i enjoy and i feel the same way about parks and rec once it got its head of steam like i don't know maybe midway into season two it would almost be a challenge for them to produce an episode that i wouldn't really enjoy on some level just because i'm back with my friends you know That's what i true.
0: mean yeah it's, it feels it, at home
1: Having said that, the season six premiere was like a big, wonderful kick in the face to all the preconceived notions that shows are going to run out of steam after season four or five. This episode, in my opinion, this episode did it all. It was full of hilarious moments, engaging storylines, heartfelt moments, clever plot twists, overall just
0: wonderfully satisfying. Um, You were 90 episodes into this show by season six. Yeah. And this is pretty good yes
1: yes (laughs) all of our parks and rec characters by the way are i think one of the reasons we like them is they're beautifully wonderfully flawed Mm. and having said that i gotta tell you what there are certain things on which you do not want to go toe-to-toe with leslie on i don't care if you're uli from denmark or congord's from mongolia nobody and i mean nobody is better at gift giving than Leslie nope. nope. For for the second time, we have seen her give Ron a gift that is so heartwarming, so thoughtful, so perfect. Despite how much Ron loves Diane and how awesome Diane is, and she is, yes. she's perfect for him. Perfect. Yes. I don't know if Diane will ever top those gifts in terms of being
0: so freaking perfect. I think April gave Leslie a pretty good gift this episode, though. I agree. I agree. I don't know that I think it's
1: in exactly the same category, but it's close. It's It's close for April. For April.
0: Yeah, it's up there.
1: I have, by the way, speaking of April, I have really enjoyed watching her journey Mm -hmm. as she's grown up through this series. Uh, And nothing has been more of an indication of this to me than her. I'll call them her bookend actions. Mm -hmm. In the very beginning, we have her tremendous thinking outside the box all on her own. Yeah. No one asked her to do this. Yep. As she revealed. the nomination. She had the yep. forethought yep. to yep. nominate Leslie for the award in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then, bookend, at the end, we have April realizing Leslie needs a shot in the arm. She needs a morale boost. And she reads her the letter she wrote. And it's just what the doctor ordered. So, bravo there. Yep. Um, I guess because I don't want to just seem like a like a fanboy, I'm trying to think of small nitpicks. here. The only nitpicks I could think of, and these are very minor, I could be wrong, and if I am, call me out. But I was kind of surprised they didn't even mention April going to vet school. Because this should be a couple months into the future, and I thought that they, you know, she and Andy had decided, you know what, babe, go for it. And... I'm not saying that it's wrong that they didn't. I was just, I was a little surprised they didn't even mention it in passing. Like just a one, a one liner. Yeah. Like, like I would keep us in contact. I would have been, I wouldn't have been surprised if April had said something like, Hey babe, I know this is going to be a long, she likes to say babe a lot. Yeah. I like to make her say babe a lot when I'm imitating her. Uh, I I would have been surprised if she had said babe, babe, (laughs) you're, yeah, you're going to be over here in London, but what the hell am I going to care? I'm in vet school for a while. And so an hour away.
0: Yeah. So Two hours away. one
1: yeah. hour away versus 14 hours away yeah. or however the hell long it is. It doesn't matter. See, that would have made so much sense to me. Um, yeah. Maybe a
0: missed opportunity and certainly a, uh let, you know what? That's better. Perplexing. Maybe yeah. a little bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, That's it. Just to tie it all together. Cause in every other way they did.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. The only other thing I could think of and this is very minor is I said, I loved all five storylines, but if I had to pick out the weak link, I would say the Ann and Chris story, wasn't great, although I did think it was good. It just, I thought the rest
0: were great. Yeah. So, you know, hard to compare, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And even the, and even the in Chris storyline was enjoyable. I just yeah. thought it was maybe a little more muted than the others. Mm, okay. Um, all right. So uh, here we go. Crazy Mark rubric. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take two approaches. So,
0: I sense that you're uh, you're struggling with this one, Mark. This week,
1: I am tremendously struggling with this. So, first, by popular demand, the typical crazy Mark rubric. So, here we go, and don't get stuck. Base score five. Four out of the five stories were outstanding. Even the and Chris one was good. It had everything. Enough said. Five. I'm going to give an entire point for. Well, I can't assign an MVP point because I said not, not applicable. But you know what? A stellar job by all. I like the way you put it. Yeah, steal for me. G- give it to the writers. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Well done. Um. I'm gonna give an entire point for a fan fantastic freaking list of guest stars. You got Henry Winkler as Dr. Lou Saperstein, Peter Serafinowicz as Lord Edgar Covington, Lucy Lawless as Diane Lewis, Heidi Klum as Uli Donson, Ben Schwartz as John Ralphio Saperstein, Jenny Slate as Mona Lisa Saperstein, Susan Yeagley as Jessica Wicks, Mary Faber as Catherine Pinewood, Helen Slayton Hughes as Ethel Beavers, Woo-hoo! Woo. Mark Evan Jackson as the wonderful lawyer, Trevor Nelson, so Jay Jackson by playing Pert Hapley. um, if I butcher this, please forgive me. Uh, Calico. cut. Ca, uh, ca, ca, not gonna, no, not gonna work anymore. The ca, Calico. Caluhi.
0: I think that's right. That's really close. I it's hard to say.
1: I, I I'm just not familiar with that with that name set. Uh play uh Con, sure. uh who, who I might add, uh was Superstar. in Superstore as the as the punching bag. Yes, she's Sandra the Jerry of that show. Loved, loved, so loved, loved her. Yes. I'm so Calico, I'm so sorry I butchered yeah. your name. Yeah. Um and, and so any of those, any of those I just listed would have made stellar guest stars. They were all in this one. So Anyway, sorry, I I get excited. So uh, a point for all that madness (laughs) I just said. I know. I'm going to give another full point for what I call the wedding combo. Ron Swanson learning of the pregnancy and proposing and getting married in the four minute plus cold open while Leslie panic celebrates is just freaking outstanding. Uh, Plus very sweet. I'm going to give a full point for what I call the resolution combo. April's sweet reading of her letter for Leslie's award nomination, plus the culmination of Leslie's beyond priceless itinerary gift to Ron as he basks in the splendor of the Lagavulin factory within the tiny islands off the coast of Scotland. I'm going to give one full point uh for what i call the tom's journey combo the great reveal of dr saperstein as the anonymous client the return of lawyer trevor nelson who i really do like he's great um the insanity of john ralphio and mona lisa and tom's struggle to make sense out of all of it continue to be a grown-up and determine the next steps forward one point for all that i'm gonna give half point for what i call the Fonz slash fancy face combo, because <laughs> I want to give a special shout out. I love all the guest stars there. I thought sure. they did a great job.
0: But in particular,
1: um, yeah. in particular, Henry Winkler, Peter Serafinowicz. For first of all, Henry Winkler is great in almost anything I've ever seen him. And he actually, in my opinion, played one of the more delightful yeah. V- villains in this oh, yeah, yeah, series, yeah. you know?
0: Well, he's a great villain. Like, yes, Arrested he is. Development. Yes, He's a bit he is. of a villain. We just finished rewatching that and the HBO show Barry.
1: I, I don't think quite in the same vein as we love to hate Councilman Jam, but in his no. own particular vibe, yeah. just as good a villain. He's Certainly Thomas um, villain. And then uh, almost criminally underrated Peter Serafinowicz. Yeah. So Freaking funny. He is good. He plays
0: it so funny without acting funny.
1: And I might add one of my favorite factoids, which I know you've heard me say a billion times. Yeah. In Star Wars Phantom Menace,
0: voice of Darth Maul. Look it up. I, I got to believe I did not know that before today. Really? If, if I did, I've forgotten. Oh, fair enough. Not a huge amount of dialogue by Darth Maul. Oh, God, no. I think he
1: had one line, but it's, which was so odd that they chose, like, you could have yeah. chosen Mina. <laughs> right. And
0: because who cares? It's <laughs> one cares? line. I just thought it was interesting. He's a great voice actor, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I get it. Yeah. Um, just like Mary Faber. So,
1: Just yeah. like Mary Faber. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Um, I'm going to give half a point for what I call the Andy slash fancy face combo. Andy's interactions with who is basically his British equivalent was priceless, as was their turning to Ben the adult. Can we get ice cream? <laughs> I love that scene so freaking that's much. Um, and I'm going to give one final half point for what I call Leslie's gift, which is. This probably ties Ron's birthday steak dinner at City Hall with the greatest gift I've ever seen. It was touching, heartfelt, creative. Shows just how well Leslie knows her friends. So he had all these points up, and this is what I was afraid of. We had eleven point five little
2: Sebastians.
0: <laughs> um, okay. Wait a minute, Mark. That's that's problematic for us, Alan. You've lost your parking spot before by creating your own scoring system. So what are we doing here? This is clear. Is it mm, clearly this episode is so good. It
1: broke the mark rubric. Um, Mm. Look, I was afraid that this might happen. Yeah. So I've decided that the above everything I just went through is, is an interesting academic exercise.
0: So just edit it out.
1: Yeah. Just edit it out. (laughs) So here's, here's my real score. I've decided Parking space be damned. I've decided to double down on my initial comment. This episode, beyond category. In in my opinion, it was so good with so many funny moments, so many heartfelt moments, so many engaging plot points, so much character development. But at the same time, it had a huge advantage over the other episodes. Like no other episode to date has had the amount of time it had to. It literally in Perkins had double the, the amount of time to play with and craft storylines within that. So for most practical purposes, it kind of stands on its own. Um, and the other complication point is that try as I might, I thought about trying to break up the different halves, if you will, into different like, you know, half hour episodes or 21 minute episodes. Yeah, I, I took care of
0: that for you. Keep going. I can't
1: do it. Yeah. I like, I couldn't figure out how to do it. So, you know, we just did it as one big episode, which I, I think was the right way to do it, but still. So anyway, So Mark's final score, and yes, I'm once again paying with my parking space. I was told this here at LFP Worldwide Headquarters. Mark's final score for London, the part one and two combo, beyond category. Okay. That's my review. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) I mean, rock the scuba. Rock
0: rock the scuba across the pond. Yep. Um, Yeah, see, I'm bouncing it off like a skipping scum there. Um, I'm not even sure where to start. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll go back because uh, I can call BL, baloney on your uh, your scoring system there, but I I'm know because I get what you're saying. I really do. And uh, here's how I handled the struggle and a little bit differently, I suppose. Uh, so first of all, let me back all the way up. MVPs: Dean Howell and Mike Schur, and. And I included both of them. Now, they're they're not co writers. Mike wrote the episode. I know. I'm sure he wrote it with the whole writer's room. Like, I'm not ignoring that. Right. But Mike is credited with this this one. And that's the way it usually works. Someone, it's either two writers, one writer, but there's always the writer's room and lots of people, you know, adding to it, I'm sure. And probably Dean himself, frankly, while he's directing the episode. We know that happens with someone as creative. So, yeah. And again, remember, Dean comes from an editing background. So I'm particularly. Pleased with the directing in this episode, we don't talk about that very often. No, even though we've talked to a few directors from time to time and been lucky to do so, and we're working on setting one of our next interviews with a director. Um, Dean's work is so good, you just kind of forget it's there. Yeah, and that's why he did twenty-seven of these. Yeah, he's that good. It's so the mark of a good job. It really is, and um, and and I feel like Mike grew as a writer throughout the show and i can go back and look at ones where he was penned and they're they're perfectly good episodes and sometimes they're great episodes but not always and you know going back to 5.22 to are you better off and this one both parts in particular this is his best work yeah and and it may him may have a repeat before the end i'm not sure though i think this is his best work on this show and of course, you know he wrote the pilot for this. He wrote the pilot, and he wrote many episodes of Good Place and other shows as well. So I'm not saying in his career, but for Parks and Rec, this is the pinnacle, right? Okay. Just it's. That You may be right. It's there. My my one nitpick would probably be like you with the, um, with the Chris Ann storyline, but here's what I'm going to say instead of that. I'm going to say that it's a they they were the functionaries in this episode. They had a good, solid storyline that wasn't always the funniest or the most inventive, but it was it was a lot like kind of like you said, when we got to uh, when we got to London, we kind of created this hub. In a way, it started before that, and and I think on the on the Pawnee side of the of the pond, they were the hub, right? Mm. Of of several storylines, kind of tying everything together with Tom and and all of that. So I feel like it was a functionary role for them, and that's the only bad thing I can say about that. And it was a little shorter, I'll buy that. a little less screen time. Other than that, the other four, yes, four, uh, five total storylines, but the other five, four are are all really, really good and nearly in balance with, with each other, which is amazing. To yeah. Think. Like, and, and they certainly got, you know, 40, what would we say? 44 minutes roughly total to do it. So they definitely used every minute, every second of that to get it done for sure. Um, this is my favorite cold open of the entire series. Oh, it just, and it's not necessarily the funniest, but it's like my favorite. And I think cause Don or Don, Don and Ryan, <laughs> Ron and Diane, see, they're interchangeable. Now. I know, I know. They, they are so perfect for each other. They couldn't have written a better pairing for Ron and I'd almost argue conversely for Diane. Yeah. Like, you know, they they were they they missed each other initially, but now they've they've come together and formed this union and they are perfect for each this
1: other. This one's going to stick.
0: It's going to stick. And, and in a lot of ways we've said the same thing about the Bensley relationship and then Andy and April because, you know, if it weren't for those folks, where would they be? Right. Right? Right. And and I know people in my own life like that where kind of see them together and it's like they are perfect together. They they need to be together. So for me, if not for them. So um, again, going back to the balance of the bench, you know, obviously Donna and Jerry always get the short end of the stick, but they were both pretty well utilized. I think despite the fact that so much screen time went to so many other things, including like you said, a huge list of guest stars Mm -hmm. with the two standouts, of course, you already mentioned. Um, I like the pairings in here, back and forth, back and forth, Ron and Leslie, Leslie and Ron. Um, I, I liked the way that they used Dr. um to kind of tie the Tom storyline with the Anne Chris storyline. I thought that was great. Um, I felt like the Tom story and Tom's maturity is continuing to be evident he has not taken like you know kind of a one giant step forward and five steps backward, which we did with Tom a lot early right. on. Now we're just mostly going forward. He's got his ties to the old Tom and they' when they're funny, they use them and when they're and mostly they, they they focus on the new Tom, you know, which you know, to go from pimp and Tom to realistically entrepreneur Tom, is is a really nice arc for him, right? The only
1: times I see Tom kind of, in air quotes, act in the fool, sure. it's just to his own minor detriment and not to the detriment of others.
0: That's fair. Yeah, in the same way we've kind of said where Leslie has been less overbearing, when she does go there, it usually only gets her own self in hot water. Right. Yeah, which she did here as well, of course. So Mark, for me, when I look at all those things together, um, I, I don't have the Mark rubric, so I couldn't <laughs> break mine today. <laughs> Um, and and again, I, I I watched this episode, I don't know, six, six times and um, probably three different ways. I watched it as Peacock, you know, episode one and episode two. I watched it as a whole back to back, you know, obviously we reviewed deleted scenes. I looked at all of those things. And for me, had I looked at these episodes as, as aired, individual episodes, I would have given each half a nine and a half. For episode part one, I would have given a nine and a half, started high, ended a little low, and that's why it's not a 10. And I'd say the second half started a little low and ended high, and that's why it's not a 10. You put them together, I gave the 44-minute episode a 10.0 because I will not break the rules. I think
1: for you at home who don't like to break the rules, I think that Alan's way is the better way to go. I, I Actually, I think if I was forced, I, if I had to give a score, I would have done it exactly like that. I'll say it like this. If instead of having the episodes back to back, yeah, they had each been on their own week, yes, I would have been tempted to score them as 9.5s each for the reasons that you just yeah, said. Yeah, I can see that. Having it explicitly back to back. Yeah. It it like they shore up each other's weak points they and do. elevate it to a ten.
0: They absolutely do. Yeah, and I mean you got you know in 2013 when these are airing in that eight o'clock hour back to back, it is not unintentional that they did that. Right. They did not split these across two weeks to maintain that momentum, and I'm certain that they were conceived as a single episode. In the I think the biggest indicator of that of that is the fact that they had the same writer director pairing for both halves. Right. Because when you've seen other things that clearly look like two halves of a whole, and there's some sort of, let's call it purposeful separation, you will often see those two things shot independently of each other with a different writer-director pair in each. Right. So that you basically get kind of two production lines going at the same time. Here we know we know a lot now. Ten years later, we know obviously about the you know the Guardians of the Galaxy thing and, and Pratt going into the Marvel world and the fact that they use that to kind of benefit him and his schedule and the shooting schedule for Guardians and Everybody went to London and actually shot these things on location there, which is amazing. And I only feel sorry for the people who didn't get to go, you know, for Donna and for Jerry and everyone else who stayed home. Um, Pretty, really cool stuff to get these location shoots, including the stuff with Ron in, in Scotland, you know, right. which is, of course, making Nick Offerman rich because of Lagavulin. But, you know, I'm going to buy that personalized casket of Lagavulin as well. Sure. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to drink it, too, but I'm going <laughs> to buy it. So, but um no, I, I feel like this was this is one of their better episodes. In general, and even if I hadn't given it a 10, I would still say it's probably a top five episode, if not a top three episode series wide.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I would agree with that. I think we've also made this point before. I mean, I know we've we've beat to death, you know, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord. He's also Andy. You know, I know we've said that tons and tons and tons of times, but I think that we have maybe only said one other time and it does bear repeating how cool it was for. Make sure mm. to go, dude, you know what? Yeah. We'll, we'll work with you now. I know you're going to be in this little raccoon movie or whatever it yeah,
0: is. I, I remember that interview. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, you're great and we'll do whatever we can to keep you on. And, and I mean, tell yeah. talk about paying off dividends. Yeah.
0: I mean, we talked about this on an episode a while back. Was it a spotlight episode? It might have been the spotlight episode or some other context or maybe both where, you know, it became pretty apparent. And we've talked with other people in the business that, you know, they don't other shows and Hollywood, especially like in the 80s, your your other projects did not matter. This show was your primary thing. Everything else be damned, damn damn right? it. Right, right. And and even by twenty thirteen, while that has shifted quite a bit, it's still going on. And it's something to say about the leadership of this show, the show runners, the executive producers, you know, uh, Greg Daniels, Mike Schur, and of course, Amy Poehler to say, yeah, let, let him go do that. Let's work around that. Let's actually use it to make our show better Yeah. and give us this opportunity we probably would have never done because they never, ever, ever would have talked to NBC into a location shoot London in any other circumstance. Yep. So why not? Why not it leverage it? Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's not going to feel like he's gone that long. And they've given us a, albeit crazy reason. It's a reason that Andy's not going to be on the show for a minute. And it's okay. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it too. Yeah. So, yeah. So really, really, really smart moves and great episode. And uh, what a way to kick off season six. I agree. Strong. It can only go downhill from here. Don't say that. <laughs> well, I mean math, Mark. Yeah, I know. Yeah, stupid math. The math, math is hard. You score something out yeah. of ten. Man. I don't even know what math camp is, but I know math is hard.
1: That's why I scored it beyond category because
0: I don't even want. I don't even. I don't even wanna. <laughs> the, the math broke you quite literally. <laughs> yes, it did. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. This is great uh, to break this one down for you. We'll be back with our next original episode, uh, season six, episode three, technically, the Pawnee Eagleton Tip-Off Classic. That's a long title. I, that needs an acronym, too. Yeah. The T-P-E-T-C? Tip-tick? Tip-tick? I, think it,
1: the, the, I think you keep the word the, and then you have P-E-T-O-C, the talk. I love it. Yeah, we'll be back with the peacock. Yes, we on the will. peacock. Mm-hmm. There you oh, go. Oh, look at that Boom. alliteration
0: in writing. Drop the mic.
1: Drop the mic. Nailed it.
0: All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: All right. Bye everyone.
0: Bye everyone.
2: Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompony.com for more details or to contact us.